Very good morning, everyone. It's indeed very great um, to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Um, Today we'll just be reading from Matthew chapter 14. That's Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21, where we'll be reading about Jesus and the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So that's Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. We'll just read that. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have but here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they all did eat, and were filled, and they took up of the fragment that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, beside women and children. We'll just quickly open in prayer. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to look into your word this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we have to do so. And we just pray that, indeed, as we open up the words of Matthew 14, that you would just give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and indeed just the ears to hear what it is that you desire to say unto us. And we do just pray as well that we would just um, have the opportunity to learn and just hear from you. So we do just pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. So here we've got this fascinating miracle. Indeed, it's a miracle that I often wished that I could perform as a kid. I thought this would be an amazing superpower to have if I could multiply my food. You know, instead of just a single Big Mac at McDonald's, I could have a double Big Mac for double for the same price. If I wanted more sweets, there could be more sweets. I thought this was absolutely amazing. And obviously, the disciples and those that were there likewise thought that this was quite the amazing miracle. It is indeed one of the only miracles that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Indeed, it was a great thing to observe, and it was something that was not exactly common to see. So today, uh, as we look at this passage, I'm just going to give a brief overview of um, verses 13 to 21, and then I'm just going to then move on to three particular elements. I've made um, the required attempt at alliteration, and we have the compassion of Christ, the capabilities of Christ, and the call of Christ. So we'll just jump straight into looking just briefly at the overview of the passage. So obviously uh, from the chapters that we've previously read, we know that 
Christ's cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded um, by Herod, and that he has heard that news. And you could imagine that perhaps, after hearing of this, he would be wanting to perhaps be alone, going out into the desert place. So he's left, he's gone onto a ship, and he's tried to just get into this remote place as far away as possible. But there seems to be just something about Jesus that draws the crowd to him. For obviously when they heard of it, they followed him on foot in a mass multitude out of the cities. Something that drew them to him. We obviously have a great multitude, at least 5,000. And given that it was 5,000 men that Jesus fed, we can imagine there was perhaps 10,000 to 15,000 people there, if you include the women and children. It was a deserted place. It wasn't exactly that convenient for them to get to him. He was in the middle of nowhere, just far from the cities, far from the villages. There were no comforts of home. There was no easy five-minute walk. And bear in mind as well that in order to get to where Jesus was, the multitudes had to be traveling on foot. There was no, let's hop into our lovely wee car. There was no nice bikes to take them casually along. They had to walk there. They had to walk great distances away from their homes in order to see, to hear this Messiah that they had heard about. And as well, there was the difficulties of bringing their sick. I'm sure some of you that might have perhaps had injuries in the past will know how difficult it is to move along with a broken leg. Perhaps those of you that work in a hospital will know how hard it is for a paralyzed person to even do basic functions. And yet these people, they were bringing their sick. They were bringing those that were probably paralyzed, those that had illnesses, out to this desert place on foot, away from the comfort of their cities. And as well, I would like to perhaps suggest that this was done very much in a rush um, upon hearing that Christ was out there, for it was in the same day that they all, that Jesus went there and that they followed him and required food that evening. For none of them, or very few of them, had brought food with them themselves. Uh, I think often if any of us were going out on an expedition, if we were going on a picnic perhaps, if we were maybe going on a long drive up to perhaps Stonehaven for the day, we would bring our essentials with us. We would be, okay, we're going to bring our picnic, you know, we're going to bring our picnic mat, we're going to make sure that we have all those vitals that we need with us. But instead, these people, they've heard that Jesus was nearby, they'd heard that he was going to this place and desiring for perhaps their relatives to be healed, desiring to see this phenomena that had been spoken of throughout Galilee, they rushed out on foot to this deserted place to hear him. And obviously then we see Christ's compassion as he heals the sick. He's seen that they followed him out to this desert place and he desires to heal them and to teach them about the kingdom of God. But this has led to this predicament that the disciples later on bring up, their concern for the earthly nourishment of those that were there. 
Indeed, as they say, this is a desert place and the time is now past. It was evening. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and get food. Indeed, the people had surrounded Jesus and Masse, just desiring to be healed, desiring to hear about the kingdom of God. But it had gotten late. Time had passed and now food was a necessity. And the disciples desired that Jesus would just send all these folk away to the villages to perhaps feed themselves to get food. And then we see the response of our Lord Jesus Christ where he says to the disciples, they need not depart, give you them to eat. He says, they don't need to go, why don't you give them something to eat? And you can imagine the bewilderment of the disciples. There's 5,000, 10,000, perhaps 15,000 people there. And our Lord Jesus Christ has just told them, no, all these people are not going to go away. Why don't you feed them? You can imagine them just sitting there, scratching their head, puzzling, well, how are we meant to achieve this? And in the account that's written in Mark, um, they ask Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread for all these people? And obviously that was quite the impossibility. In today's money, that is about $12,000, quite the sum to feed so many people. But the Lord Jesus Christ obviously knew, indeed, as he says in Mark, what he was going to do. And he was merely expressing to the disciples, you know, just perhaps to ingrain the impossibility of the situation. You have so many people here, how are we going to feed them? And then this is then where we see this great miracle, this great supernatural thing that happens, where he turns the five loaves and the two fishes that the disciples have brought to him into enough food to feed 5,000 to 10,000 strong. Now obviously we don't know how this was done, whether he perhaps just had a basket full of these loaves and just took bread out and the bread never stopped coming, or perhaps as he broke the bread, you know, it grew back. We, we don't know. The Bible does not say. But what we do know is that everyone there was fed. Indeed, fed till they were full and there was leftovers. It wasn't just sufficient food for these people, for those people. There were leftovers, 12 baskets full. Indeed, people ate till they were full. And you wonder, well, how is this possible? And indeed, it shouldn't be possible that food can multiply like that. Indeed, any of you that indeed studied science in primary school will know that matter cannot be replicated. Matter cannot be created out of nothing. And yet this is what appears to have happened here. So that is just our brief overview of the passage where we see how the multitudes have desired to see Jesus. They followed him out. There has then been a situation presented where they require food because they're in this desert place. The disciples, they're unable to do it. And then we see how Jesus, indeed the Son of God, was able to, in his wondrous, miraculous power, provide out of the compassion of his heart for all these people. And that's just then what I want to hop on to next, which is our first sort of topic, um, which is the compassion of Christ. So, 
As we've heard um, from my brother last week, Herod had just chopped off the head of John the Baptist. And this was um, Christ's cousin who had just been died, uh, who had just been killed. And we see then in verse 13 that when Jesus heard of it, he departed by ship thence into a desert place. Now obviously this is quite a tough time for our Lord. His cousin has just been beheaded. We know how the Jewish leaders are constantly just chasing after him, desiring to trip him up, to catch him up wherever they could. We know that he knows what was lying ahead for him in Jerusalem in that he would be captured, he would be crucified on that cross and that indeed he would be that sacrifice for those. But indeed, in order to be that sacrifice, there would be pain that he would have to go through. He knew all of these things that were to come and he knew indeed what had happened and indeed the circumstances that he was currently under. And you can imagine, you know, in that sort of circumstance that he'd perhaps be wanting to be left alone. You know, he's gone out to this empty desert rural place where perhaps it's safer for him, perhaps where he can just sort of grieve for his cousin. And you'd imagine that that would be a very natural thing to want. And then you can imagine that despite wanting to be left alone, he then has this multitude this crowd of people that is just continually following him, that's followed him out of the cities, gone through such great effort just in order to see him. And yet despite his circumstances, he continues to show compassion to them. He continues to show his love to this crowd that desires so much to see him. Indeed, we see his compassion in the form of, he didn't just say, oh no, you know, I want to be left alone, you know, I'm busy today, come back tomorrow. No, instead, he was moved with compassion towards them. He healed their sick. He saw that there was a need. He saw that there was a multitude that indeed desired him, and he healed their sick. And as we see in the other passages that recount this miracle, we know that he also talked to them about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And I think when we are in our own difficulties, it's very easy to be irritable. It's easy to want to be left alone. You could perhaps not have had your double dose of morning caffeine, and you think that gives you the right to be irritable for the rest of the day. Perhaps your car is broken down and you're late to work, and you're like, okay, my car's you know, been giving me so much trouble, you know, I have a right to be grumpy for the rest of the day. But Christ, he didn't show that. He's going through so much more than not having his morning coffee or his car breaking down. And yet he still demonstrated that patience, that compassion to the people that have followed him. And this just reveals the depth of the compassion that Christ had. It wasn't just a single isolated incident when he was in a good mood. It wasn't just a single isolated incident when he was feeling perhaps, oh, it's a good day, I can afford, you know, to sort of show love and compassion to these people. No, instead, indeed, throughout 
the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that continual compassion, that continual love in every circumstance, in every situation, in every place towards the people. We see how he continually treated people with care. We think perhaps of the example of the woman who touched his robes in order to gain healing. We think perhaps of the widow whose son had just died and he raised her son to life. Continually throughout the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that love to others regardless of the difficult circumstances that he was in. And indeed that compassion lasted all the way to the cross where he then paid that ultimate sacrifice for us. Indeed dying, sacrificing his life, going through such psychological and physical torment just because of the great love with which he had for us. Indeed greater love hath no man than this that a man laid down his life for his friend. And the question is, as Christians, as those that indeed have been offered this love from God, do we behave the same? Perhaps when we're feeling irritable, perhaps when we're feeling stressed, do we still demonstrate that compassion to others that Christ demonstrated to those around him? And I don't just mean compassion to those that also show compassion to you. Perhaps you've got this really annoying classmate or this workmate at your um, work that never does his share. Do you still show that compassion, that grace to them regardless of how you are feeling that day? Do you, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you're going through, continue to try to show the love of Christ being a light for him throughout your life? Compulsory water break before we move to the next topic. So now we have um, the capability of Christ, our second sort of point for today. Now, we've seen Christ do many things um, throughout his life. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him multiply food. These are things which generally, according to the law of physics of Earth, should not quite be possible. And yet here we see him do the impossible, in that he's taken these five loaves, these two fishes... And somehow or other, he has used those to completely fill those that were there till they were no longer hungry. And I've had the privilege of reading through the Gospel of Mark um, with one of my close friends who is not a Christian. And the both of us are very sciencey people. I do neuroscience, he studies biomedical sciences. And we very much enjoy looking at the laws of Earth, the laws of biology. And as I read through the Gospel of Mark with him, I expected to have some opposition for him to, to perhaps say, well, that's not possible, that couldn't have happened. You know, people can't just randomly be risen from the dead. You know, if someone has a medical illness like cancer, it can't just disappear like that. Food, you know, matter. It cannot be multiplied. It shouldn't be possible. I was expecting to receive a response like that. 
But instead, to my great surprise, as we read through the Gospel of Mark, instead, my friend was overcome with wonder. He said, not, oh, this shouldn't be possible, but instead, if this was possible, truly it had to be from God. There was an acceptance that this was a supernatural event, and that if this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed could and was doing such a thing, then surely he must have been from God. And you hear about many scientists, or non-believing scientists, that say, well, this shouldn't be possible. You know, according to the laws of physics, of the earth, this should not have been something that could have happened. And yet we see it recorded in the Bible that this is what happened. That Christ did indeed take these five loaves and multiply them to feed so many people. And as I said earlier, we don't know how this was done. But we can imagine the amazement of the disciples. And perhaps the amazement of the people there um, seeing this event happen. And this is what I want to sort of concentrate on. It's the capability of Christ to turn something so small, just a mere five barley loaves, into something so big. Five loaves feeding 5,000. And we see it recorded in John that this sort of wee meal was provided um, from a lad that had come along for the day. Perhaps this meal had been thoughtfully prepared by a caring mother um, whose son had wanted to go out to see this phenomena that was the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear what he had to say, to see the miracles that he was performing. And perhaps his caring mother had said, all right, you know, you're going out, it'll be a long journey, you know, you're going into the middle of nowhere, it'll be a long trek, here's some food for you. And you can imagine that perhaps he was hungry, you know, this is his own, you know, why should I share it? I think a lot of us, um, particularly boys around that age, we would think of perhaps five loaves and two fishes as a mere mid-morning snack. We'd be eating it and wondering, okay, what's for lunch? You know, so you can imagine that he would be hungry, he would be wanting this. This was just a small meal for him. It surely couldn't feed so many people. You know, it's probably just better to keep it for myself. And yet, he was willing to share this small bit when the disciples going round all these people trying to look for whatever food, perhaps collate together what they could find, they found just these this small meal. And this lad, he was willing to share it. He was willing to share his small bit, which Christ was then able to turn into so much. And you can imagine the amazement of the boy as he sees just that small little meal being used to feed so many. And the question is, are we like that little lad? Are we willing to give up our own, no matter how small? And are we willing to see what God can do with it? Do we have faith that God has the ability to use those small things for him? If you are perhaps a person then, all those hundreds and thousands of hundreds of years ago, and perhaps a couple of thousands of years ago, um, you would have thought, this is impossible. And yet Christ was able to do so. 
So do we have faith that God can use the little that we give to him for him? We know that God can take our little things, whether that be time, whether that be money, whether that be our actions, our words, and turn them into something far bigger for his kingdom. It doesn't necessarily just need to be large things that he will accept. Perhaps you think, oh, he will only accept my offering if it's a thousand dollars. Or he'll only accept my time if I dedicate years to serving him in Africa. Or perhaps through my actions I need to be this amazing preacher that preaches to hundreds, converting thousands. No. God is able to use the little things and turn them into something for him. And when I say that he can take our little things and turn them into something big, I don't necessarily mean big in human eyes. Time invested in serving him in mission may never see thousands saved. The dollar or ten dollars that you give towards him may never turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars. Instead, it's about our hearts. Are we desiring to give the little that we have, the little things in our lives, the little actions, knowing that God can use it for his glory? Do we just stand by doing nothing, thinking, oh, I don't have anything that I can give. There's nothing that I have that God can or wants even to use. Just remember how the lads gave just five loaves, two fishes. That was just one simple meal. And then the Bible records, records they all ate and were filled. Five small loaves used by God to feed 5,000 large. And I'd like to just challenge you today just to think of one small thing, one small new thing, whether that be really minute or whether that be perhaps something larger you feel able to give, that you could give to the Lord this week. It might be perhaps a coffee or a listening ear to someone who needs it. It might be five extra minutes spent reading a psalm at lunch rather than scrolling through your social media. It may be instead of buying a coffee, perhaps donating that to a literature trust. God can use these small things, and it is these small things that add up to the kingdom of God. And indeed something that he can use, ultimately, for his good and his glory. And... Finally then, today, I would just like to talk about the call of Christ. We've considered um, the compassion of Christ, indeed how he showed such compassion and love to those around him regardless of his situation. We've considered the capability of Christ in how he was able to use the little that was given to him for something bigger. And finally today, I would just like to talk about the call of Christ. There was a need in that situation of physical food. There was a need for that to be fulfilled. The disciples recognized that, Jesus recognized that, and the people around him that had come probably recognized that as well. Food is a substance that is required in order to continue on living. And this requirement at the time needed fulfilled. 
if the problem had been left unsolved, it would lead to disorder, to disaster, with lots of hungry people and a long trek back on foot during the night. It was an issue that the disciples were unable to fix. No means of provision of how much money could fix the issue. It was a mammoth issue that they were unable to solve when Jesus asked them to attempt to do so. But Christ, indeed the Lord Jesus, he had the power, he had the ability to fix that issue. He had the compassion, he had the love. Seeing that issue, he desired to solve it. But there is a more pressing issue even today. An issue of not just physical health requiring food, but instead of spiritual health. The Bible talks about how we are dead in our sins. The wrong that we have done in our lives requires payment. It requires a judgment. And like the disciples in this scenario, we are powerless to be able to fix it ourselves. Indeed, through the wrong that we have done, we deserve to be condemned to an eternity of judgment by fire in hell. And we are not perfect, we are not holy, we are unable, like the disciples, to do anything at all about this situation. We may be able to perhaps provide our token loaf, our token fish, through some good works or perhaps coming to church every Sunday. But we cannot solve the root issue of our sin. By ourselves, we cannot do anything to escape the judgment that we are so deserving of. Metaphorically, we are unable to feed the 5,000. We cannot save ourselves. But the good news is that Christ, like again in the story of feeding the 5,000, has the compassion, the ability, and the desire to save us. Indeed, he was that only perfect, spotless person, that blameless person without sin, who had never done any wrong, who came to earth thousands of years ago in the form of man, and he died on that cross, taking our place and the judgment that we deserved. It was us who deserved to die, us who deserved to die in our sins and be judged. But instead, the Lord Jesus Christ, he had that ability in that he was fully blameless, and he had that compassion and that desire to save us in that he died, that perfect person taking that judgment upon himself for us. And I'm sure many of you will have heard the famous verse that's constantly quoted, John 3.16. And it's quoted for a reason, in that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I know that many in this room indeed have the blessing of looking forward to that eternal life, that they know and are sure in the salvation that Christ has offered unto them. But perhaps if you are unsure about whether indeed you have been saved, perhaps if you have never accepted Christ as your Saviour, I would just ask you to think upon these things. 
Today we've considered the compassion of Christ. He had that compassion. He had that love for the people regardless of his circumstance. And still today he has that love for people. We've seen his capability in that he was able to just do something that no one thought was possible. And indeed, today he has that capability to do something so much more. He has the capability to save you from your sins if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ died for you. If your car is broken, you bring it to a mechanic. If there's a central server crash at work, you call the IT guy. If you can't find something in your house, you ask mum. But if we are so willing to call those who are able to effectively deal with an issue we have recognised here on earth, are we equally willing to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for help when recognising our spiritual need of forgiveness, of forgiveness, knowing he has both the ability and a loving desire for you to do so. And once again, I'd just like to reiterate that if you have not yet made that decision to perhaps commit your life to Christ, or perhaps if over the years you have been uncertain, could I just encourage you to think on these things. Christ has that compassion for you. He has the capability to save you from your sins, and there is a need for you to do so. Shall we just close in prayer? Our God and our loving Heavenly Father, indeed as we have opened up your word today, we do just thank you that we can just look at the character of Christ. Indeed that regardless of the circumstances that he was in, he continued to just demonstrate that love and compassion throughout his life to the people around him. We thank you for the love that you have shown unto us and that you sent your one and only Son to earth to die for us, him who was so perfect, him who was that blameless Lamb, him who died upon that cross, taking all the judgment that we deserved so much upon ourselves. Instead, he took it for us upon himself, dying for us. And we do just thank you that indeed on the third day that he did rise again and that we can look forward to just indeed rising again with him, that we can look forward to an eternal life, an eternity spent with you in a place where there is no tears, where there is no sin, where there is no blemish. And we do just thank you that indeed if we have accepted this gift, that we have, if we have believed upon him and that he did this for us, that we can look forward to spending eternity with you. We do just thank you for the capability that Christ had to be able to do this for us. And we do just pray as well that our ears might have been opened today, that we might have learned something, that we might have been challenged to just use the small things that we have in life to be able to just let every action glorify you, that every action, every word, all our time and our resources that we might just dedicate to you, no matter how small, no matter how inefficient or small we might think it might be, we know how you can use everything that we give to you for your kingdom and glory. And we just pray that we might be challenged to do so um, for you. And we do just once again thank you for the wondrous love that you've shown unto us. And we just pray that if there are any here that perhaps might be wondering about their future in eternity, that might be wondering about their sin and the judgment that is to come, that they might realize that you are a loving Savior, that you have just granted that peace, that joy to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it can be theirs if they do so desire. So once again, Lord, we do just pray all this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Amen. Amen.